0: What is up, guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness. On this episode, we talk pain and pleasure with All The Smoke on Strength and Physique and evidence-based movement. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. Make sure you yeah. put that on yeah, the podcast. We are, we-
1: We got greatness right here. We'll throw that one (laughs) on there too.
0: (laughs) All right, Adam, go ahead and introduce them. I don't need to
1: introduce it. Go ahead. So, we got two great people uh, from a a great platform, evidence based movement. Um, I've known these guys for almost what, five years now? Seems crazy. Um, Where'd you meet them? Yeah. um, I'll let them do the talking. So, I'll start with Eric, man. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Uh, So, I'm Eric Schindler. I'm from Tampa, Florida. I Said I'm help out with evidence-based movement. I'm currently a doctor of physical therapy in the Tampa area. I started out as a college baseball player, turned PT slash NARP non-athletic regular person as of lately. But uh, no, it's I kind of help my for 22 years. Basically, played baseball like every single day of my life and. Uh, I, something I kind of stumbled along on the way was some injuries. My twin brother who got had some injuries, and that's kind of how I got into physical therapy, uh, like the whole sports medicine side of things. I was always interested in it, and then that kind of led me down to, you know, potentially seeking seeking it as a career. And that's what led me to my
1: the pinnacle of my career, which is being on this podcast. Hey, shout out to those people listening. To this. We got I got what two three listeners. Not many people know about this. <laughs> All right, Chris, go ahead, introduce yourself. This is the uh, guy for anybody that...
3: <laughs> I'm Chris Guy. I'm also a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, I'm one of the founders and, and uh, head content creators for EVM. Um, physical therapy for me was like the easiest job I could ever go into. I Like going into college, I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the health sciences field. Um, and so my sister was a speech pathologist. I was like, yeah, that, that sounds fun. So that was my initial major was speech pathology. And then I actually shadowed one and it was like the absolute longest day of my life. Like (laughs) there's a bunch of kids who just wouldn't talk. And I was like, man, they just look really shy or maybe they're on the spectrum. But like, clearly there's just, I didn't have the the patience for that, I guess. Um, (laughs) The cat. Um, Sorry if anyone's not on the video, Eric's beautiful cat just passed by. but, uh, the very next day I shadowed a physical therapist and literally as soon as I walked in the door, I saw like, it wasn't even like nothing crazy of a clinic. It wasn't like, you know, barbells and weights and stuff like that. But I saw like, you know, five pound weights and things. I'm like, Oh my, this is, this is amazing. This is perfect. Um, and like three years later, I found out it wasn't even a physical therapist. I was shadowing. It was a, uh, occupational therapist. Um, but either way, like I just walked into the environment and I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm sold. Um, So a little more before all that, I went to USF for both undergrad and grad school, um, co-founded the powerlifting team at USF and still do some coaching um, with all of that. And then also got a lot involved in uh, the research, the same lab that Adam was in, um, and got to publish a couple studies and then run one of my own studies where we made people squat and deadlift six days a week. And uh, one of those studies, Eric broke his back, but that wasn't my study, so it was okay. (laughs)
2: Nice. So yeah, I still, man, I, 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 I still think to this day I'm the first and only person to get hurt
1: in a USF uh, exercise science study. Yeah, so yeah, far. It, Camp, Campbell would always say, he would always brag about that. Nobody's gotten hurt except one person. He would always say. So now I know he, it's you.
2: Now, I,
0: yeah, I know it's you too. D- I, got a, I
3: got a call.
2: I got I got gotta call from him at like seven eight o'clock one night, and he would just make sure I was okay. Yeah, oh, man. it was it
3: was day one. And what's funny is like three days before Eric hurt himself, Eric also took a walk with 425 for his first deadlift, like heavy deadlift and lost that's his amazing. balance and literally walked with it like three or four steps. So he was, oh, no. he was just like, <laughs> it was waiting to happen. Oh, More man.
2: impressive than anything.
3: Yeah, but I think Eric got a great lesson about like how low back pain isn't necessarily debilitating, even though he like literally couldn't couldn't walk after.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that could be a good segue with, you know, um, maybe movements or exercise selection um, causing pain. So obviously, right, I think a lot of individuals, if they deadlifted whatever amount of weight and they got hurt, I think their mindset is now stuck into that, oh, well, I can't deadlift, I'm going to get hurt. What are your guys' general thoughts on, um, are exercises bad or is it, hey, maybe you're just not ready or uh, for a specific movement? What is your kind of um, way to approach either a patient or a client in that aspect, Eric, you can go ahead and go first if you want. I mean, you kind of, you kind of put that one on a, a tee for us, uh, <laughs> but no,
2: I, I think you're, you're basically kind of answered the question in the, by stating it just personally, I don't feel that there's a lot of bad exercises or bad movements. It's just, I guess you'd say one we're not ready for, and yeah, that was essentially I may have deadlifted like once or twice in my life, like literally I can count on one hand, but I went into this study and I was about to deadlift three times a week, which probably is not, may not be the best thing ever. Uh, Trying to try to max out and then try to deadlift two to three times a week for the first time ever. But you can kind of see, I, I, I physically was not prepared for it. That's something we kind of have to, we fight clients on patients on, I don't want to say fight them, but so we have to kind of talk them through and make them realize, hey, maybe what you were doing wasn't necessarily bad. You just really weren't ready for it.
3: Yeah, and even for Eric, I remember like going into the study, he told me like, yeah, I've done like 225 for sets of five before. And then he maxed out around like 420, 425. And then his first day, he had three sets of eight with 300. So going from 225 for a couple sets of eight, and it was his very last rep on his very last set of 300 for a three by eight. Um, and like his butt was just shooting up in the air and he was all over the place. To me, yeah, that's that is the expected um, outcome. But at the same time, it's very possible Eric four years ago wouldn't have even hurt himself doing that, right? Because, you know, even though there is the, the perspective of load and like loading before you're even ready for it or moving or performing a movement that you're not 100% ready for, um, there's also just a million other factors that are involved in in injuries. And so Eric was in PT school at the time. Eric, you know, who knows what his sleep was like and everything, as opposed to when he was an athlete, he probably could have just jumped into something like that, you know, went at it, had just the most disgusting reps ever and survived it. And he probably could have continued to progress on like that. Um, There's no way to really know. Um, But a lot of it is, you know, discussing with patients just how complicated this stuff is but then also leaving them with the answer that, you know, but addressing it's pretty simple. Um, And and I think the simplicity of it all is, is where we try to kind of guide our patients through everything. Just like what Adam was talking about. You could ball, you know, five hours a day, wake up the next morning, not eat anything, maybe have like a bowl of cereal and then go back at it again. Um, Things are definitely different. And and that's that's a part of of what we do. um, educating them on how to be a little smarter as you get older is a big part of it as well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, man. You feel like you're a superhuman when you're, when you're a teenager or whatever. Um, so like even with all of that, what are the, some of the, the things you try to educate your patients on um, when it comes to you know, coming back smarter? Or even just, you know, is there any type of other exercise that you would implement before maybe putting somebody right back on a deadlift or a squat for that matter?
3: Yeah, for me, um, let's say it's like an acute low back pain patient, which to me, that's like, that's my out of the park, you know, set them up really early, try to make it very successful. Uh, and to me, that's a big part of managing them is letting them know that, hey, 80% of people with an acute incident of low back pain are going to be perfectly fine and better 100% within the next four to 12 weeks. And that's without me even touching you, um, you know, letting them know that the research shows they have a very favorable prognosis so we can set them up that, Hey, you don't even need me to feel better. Um, but then letting them know, but there's still a lot of value in seeing me. Um, and we can work through, you know, any fears you might have or whatever beliefs you might have. Um, and, and, moving along the way as as we kind of create this relationship together and and figure out what it is that they need so um, typically it's you know let's say it's that acute onset low back pain and they're a little flexion intolerant right when they try to bend down they feel a little bit of tightness or pain whatever it might be Um, a lot of my narrative is based off of hey okay you know there's a specific position that you can't tolerate right now Um, so we're going to do some things to expand that range of motion and expand what you can tolerate and then we're also going to progressively layer you up and load you up. Um, I like to give examples of you know having a ceiling for what they're capable of doing, and that sometimes they might touch above that ceiling, um, whether that might be you know the load that they're lifting or the position that they're in with the with the load or just how long they're doing something, um, and let them know that our goal is to bump your ceiling up slowly over time, um, and and really set that expectation that even when you're done here. Um, you know, I want you to continue with, with these things. And to me, therapy isn't about like, oh, I'm going to fix you. And then you're going to be done. It's more so, Hey, this is how I want you to approach the problem. And I want you to be able to handle this on your own if it does ever happen again. Um, Cause at the same time, the, the most predicting factor for a low back injury is a previous low back injury. Um, so to me, it's a lot about setting the expectations And then almost letting the exercise do the talking, essentially, right? Let them see, like, oh, yeah, this is heavier, or I'm in this position now. um, And last week, I couldn't handle that, and I couldn't figure that out. Um, Yeah.
2: No, I'll kind of, like, touch on that. I had a case either Thursday or Friday this past week. He's 31. He's a firefighter. I mean, he played high school soccer. You know, he's pretty athletic growing up. And I kind of, like anything, I think you think you're, you don't think you're as far removed from things as you are. In the grand scheme of things, like it's been, I mean, six months, years, till like people, when they're physically active, they're working out playing sports. And he, he's had some back pain issues over the last, I don't know, three, four months. But I, I'm a student right now. So I find myself kind of explaining my thought process a little more. And I kind of told the same thing. Like, hey, you're a firefighter. You're carrying, he has, there's a job requirements to be able to lift 150 pounds by himself. I mean, they're moving like let's say bigger people all day. It's like, that's a majority of the firefighters' calls is going to field houses and happen to lift people. But I'll say essentially, man, you're, you're an athlete to me. Like you have to, your job demands are a lot. And like you said, trying to build that feeling. I'm I mean, out straight up. Tell them like, like, Hey, look, we're trying to build the capacity and try to build the strength. So like when you get back to work, it's, it's going to be easy. And you know, some of the stuff we're going to do in here is going to help build those muscles, build those patterns that you need to be able to do when you get back to work. And I think most of the time we, we explain it that way. They're like, okay, it's pretty uh, it's pretty simple. And I feel like sometimes people are looking for this big complicated answer about their their disc or their SI joint or their pelvis or something. But I mean, like we've, we've Chris and I've we've had this conversation plenty of times, but we don't have like a so we don't have an SI joint exercise or we don't have a disc exercise. Like I'm basically looking at what this guy what he has to do, what he currently can do, and I try to get them up to that level. And I, I'll straight up tell them that. I mean we like right now you're able to do this. You need to be able to do this. This is how we're gonna get there.
3: Yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm in like this similar idea of like see what they can functionally do and ask them about, you know, what they've heard, what their expectations are, what has your doctor told you about this? Um, That way, if there are things that we might need to address and it's not about like, oh, let's throw the doctor on the rug, but more so, okay, this is what you've heard. Um, I will tell you from like my professional standpoint, um, I'm not really gonna change what I do based off of your diagnosis per se, right? Whether it's a rotator cuff tear or shoulder impingement or whatever it is, um, I just care. Can you, you know, reach up and grab that plate from the top of your shelf? And if you can't, how do we get there? Um, And same thing that when Eric was talking about like, you know, essentially raising their capacity above what their everyday or what their work demands are. Um, Like my absolute favorite thing to do is to load someone like a trap bar deadlift, Um, especially like my, you know, 50 plus year old mothers who, uh, you know, stopped exercising after COVID and they've been having these like nagging, aching pains, having them pull like even if it's just like 70 80 pounds which to me and to us that's probably not a huge deal but then they'll do it for like a set of five and I'll tell them like hey guess how much weight that is and you tell them it's 95 pounds and they are like floored like there's no way I just picked up close to 100 pounds um and to me that's that can also be pretty powerful to show that okay we know how to pick up 100 pounds maybe next time you try to pick up your couch with your husband um It won't be such a a huge deal for you, and you will be prepared, and just setting them up for
1: that. So it sounds like what you guys do is my back. Eric, go ahead.
2: Uh, Like Chris was saying, I don't know if you guys deal with this with clients, but I guess people who are hurt might be a little more like shy away from loading or scared because they're afraid to get hurt. There's people all the time that we deal with that like they flat out do not want to lift any more weight. They're almost like they get afraid to. So we have like a cable stack, and they'll have new rows. I can tell that like they're doing four sets of 15 and it's like easy. Like it's where like that cable doesn't even have any tension on it. I'll like, without them even knowing on say they come in Monday on Wednesday, I'll go ahead and throw up, like move it 10 pounds on them. And like not dece- deceiving them in like a hurtful way, but I'll say, Hey, by the way, you just did like, you know, you did five more reps for the same amount of sets with 10 more pounds today and kind of showing them like, Oh wow. And they, it's like this light bulb. They kind of like, Oh wow. Like I actually am a little stronger than I thought so
0: think that's I think that's an yeah, so like- important concept just for clients in general uh, that's something I experience all the time is people obviously for muscle growth is that's the big thing I focus on is just a individual coach not as like rehab or anything but I'll have clients that are not wanting to push themselves to the point where they need to because it's hard and uh, the bar velocity is just way too fast for how difficult they're saying it is they're saying it's a nine out of ten and I'm explaining that that means you only have one rep left, but they're moving the bar just as fast as their first rep or very close. Obviously I can't see the difference, but yeah, Eric, you brought up a perfect example. It's just adding 10 pounds or 15 pounds the following session, because 15 pounds on a hundred pound squat, if they're moving the bar super fast, then voila, you surprise them be like, Hey, you increased the weight this much. And last week you said you couldn't do any more weight they're like, wow, I actually, you're right. So I, that's extremely, extremely important.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it, what you guys are saying, it's trying to get them to almost buy into that product of what you're trying to produce and get them to where you want them to be. Um, and sometimes they can be their own worst enemy, especially when you've had that experience. Um, so kind of, you guys have any, um, stories that you might have with one of those patients or clients that we all possibly have that just fight you to the T and say, I'm not doing this, or, Hey, I'm not progressing or something that possibly happens. Like, Hey, they feel really good one day. And then they come to see you the next day and they're just, they're back at point one. Um, and then you're just kind of having to explain, right. This, this, the pain science of, Hey, it's always, it's not going to always be perfect. Um, could you guys walk us through a, a scenario that way?
3: Well, I have, I have an example of like um, just why the setup is important as well as the delivery, but ultimately like the patient's preferences or the client's preferences are where it's going to be, that's going to be above anything else. Um, I had a guy who he had like a minor, minor um, lumbar surgery 10 years ago, completely fixed his back, felt great, Um, threw his back out again, comes to see me for physical therapy after being referred by his doctor. And like, even from the very beginning, it was pretty much, she just didn't want to be there. Um, And so I had a student at the time and initially the student was doing the eval. And like, as I saw this guy was like, not receptive at all. I was just kind of slowly trying to take the reins. Um, And pretty much the entire eval turned into just discussing with him, you know, Hey, this is what you can't do. Um, This is where I can help you. The guy is a farmer Um, and so it's not a matter of like, he's not performing enough activity. Like he's lifting 50, 60 plus pound bales of hay all day long. Um, and I was explaining to him that, yeah, you know, you are correct. If I load you up even more in here and get you to the point where you can no longer do what you need to do for your farm. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go through physical therapy either. Um, and essentially the entire time he's, he's fighting me with why he doesn't need physical therapy. And he didn't even really know why he was there in the first place. so I explained to him what physical therapy would look like and what my you know, what I would want him to do. But at the same time, I told him at the end of the day, like his goals are what mattered to him. Um, his at the time, he was able to do everything he needed for farming. He had to deal with a little bit of nagging back pain. But he said to him, it felt like he essentially had so much gas in his tank every day and he would always run it dry and then wake up the next day and do it again. Um, I explained to him how we can try to increase that tank or go over strategies to, to improve, you know, how he does things. Um, but at the end of the day, like we were both well aware he wasn't going to come back for physical therapy. He wasn't going to follow up. with it. Um, and, and he, he even flat out told me like, Hey, you know, I, I, it actually ended up being a really good conversation. He appreciated me taking the time to explain it to him. Um, but at the end of the day, if he's not going to you know, commit to this, I'm not going to, you know, puts around and give him give him some like BS, like, oh, here's some like exercises that work these small muscles that, that you're probably not working when you lift. Like, no, this guy's lifting heavy amounts of weight. He moved great. Um, you know, my ideal goal for him would have been to build up his capacity and be stronger and be able to tolerate it more. Um, so I kind of left it at that of, hey, you know, if you ever need anything, this is where I am. Um, if your symptoms do flare up again, I'd be more than happy to walk you through it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to try to force this guy through, through anything that he's not prepared for. Um, so, you know, it's not like this beautiful success story where we became best friends at the end, but, um, (laughs) I think it's a good example of why we need to listen to what the patient says and, and respect what they say. And at the same time, respect that this guy does everything he needs to, to complete his job for farming. Um, he had a little exacerbation in his back pain that resolved on its own. He thinks one day he'll need a surgery again. I told him why I think otherwise and tried to convince him, you know, on a financial standpoint of why he might benefit from coming back to therapy. If he does have a, you know, big exacerbation, but kind of left it at that. Um, you know, but Eric, hopefully you have a better story that answers Adam's question.
2: <laughs> well, I, I've got kind of, like touching on what you're saying. I remember, we get some pain management uh, patients and that's a pain management doctor, they're chronic pain. Some pe- like, these are the stereotypical, like a stereotypical case, like a bad stereotypical case would be someone who's basically like they're drug seeking and they go to chronic pain and they're trying to get opioids, which it happens a lot. But I remember as a student, I was with my clinical instructor at the time, who's not my boss, but, we had this lady come in and she's told us in the past how she did construction. She loved, she loved like lift, like to be a hands-on job, but you could see quickly, like her Chris she was not coming back. She was very combative. Like, like, well, like, Hey, you know, if you do want to ever get back to those things, this is your first step. Like we can help you with that. And long story short, she wasn't having it. And my boss basically asked her to leave halfway through because she was just like, just, didn't want to be there like to the point where it was like rude he <laughs> didn't want to be there so okay well uh i think we're done here today like it was nice meeting you and like you take care but it, it that happens that's like the worst case scenario but i feel like you you have to meet people where they're at like that that guy chris did that he didn't try to oversell anything i mean chris he, he pleaded his case for why the guy needed a pc but he wasn't trying to beat him over the head with oh movement is medicine and motion is lotion and we need to get you better and trying to sound snake oil here but if you can meet them where they're at then i think and if you can get them least start with you then maybe you can slowly help like change those beliefs into a like a positive way
3: yeah and to to answer kind of more so what adam was asking about like when when they do have that that relapse or You know they're they're feeling great they're hyped up they're ready to go and then the next day they're like oh my gosh it felt like you absolutely destroyed me um i think a lot of that also comes to setting the expectation early on that hey you know this is what i expect you to respond like i expect that the next 24 hours your symptoms might even feel a little bit worse um or you you know we may not be able to tolerate as much and then another 24 hours will go by and i expect that you should be back down to that baseline if not even a little bit better um, and if if it lasts longer than those forty eight hours that I just explained, then okay, we need to adjust something. We need to uh, change our dose. I like to try to discuss exercise in terms of dosing as much as possible, um, and at the same time also give them the awareness. You know that stress includes all factors of stress. It's not just the stress from exercise, but also life stress and all that. Um, and I try to you know set this expectation and in the best case scenario, yes, they are a little more sore the next day, and maybe they they can't tolerate as much as they could, just like I told them I expected to happen. And then they come back that next day, and it felt felt even better than it did before. It felt like it went back to that baseline. And to me, it's already set them up for what to expect now shows that, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Um, and at the same time, if we do hit that like 48-hour rule that I like to try to set with them, Um, And it is significantly worse for those 48 hours. Uh, I also tell them that, hey, you know, it's not that we we haven't done any major damage that has set you back down to like absolute can't even get out of your own bed again, which is good. That tells me, hey, we can even stress your tissues um, a little more than what they can even tolerate. And you're still okay. Um, You know, we'll adapt things on on our end and we'll talk about what changes we can make to Make sure that we don't have this response, and then try to build back up from there. Um, but like end of the day, I feel like setting your expectations from day one um, as as soon as possible can be huge, and just getting them to trust what you have to say.
2: And like building on that, so I like certain like you want know, a specific patient, but like we have multiple patients that this kind of stories have happened, so I can speak generally and apply to a lot of people. But like day one, that's you almost ask them. Like, hey, what are your expectations of physical therapy? What, how does this look to you? So you can kind of get an idea of where they're at. uh, I don't know with maybe their, their knowledge and like expertise of exercise and pain. But, dog, sorry. (laughs) Uh, But building building off of it, they, like, if you, if you tell them, hey, look, we did more today. Like, you are probably going to be sore or at least day one. Like, Hey, it's your first time exercising in a while. You're going to be sore. It is okay. Like just, I, talk, I, I joke when I say, I'm like, Hey, don't, don't cuss me. Cuss me tomorrow when you wake up and getting on the toilet seats a little hard because if you tell them that, and they actually do start having that they wake up with that shortness and maybe a little pain, they're, they're not, they're actually not mad at you. They, you, you told them, they expected it. You delivered on what you <laughs> said Sorry, dogs are going crazy at the front and cats are looking. look at.
0: <laughs> you have Guest experience. This is, is. This is unexpected. Yeah.
2: But and like if I like telling what what uh, kind of what Chris was saying, we'll keep talking about building capacity and building like more resilience. I'll straight up tell them, look, we just did a little more than we could we could handle. And I always tell them in the beginning too, hey, just because we had a flare up, that's not a bad thing to me. That means we tested ourselves. If we never have a flare, if we never have a painful day or like a really sore day, then we probably never actually pushed you hard enough. And we're not going to get anywhere by doing that. So by setting the expectation and telling them like, I always tell them like, let's spend that bad experience of that painful day. Actually, I think that's more of a positive because we see where our limit is. And now we know we maybe we try that in a week or two. We do it again. And it's like, it's a win for them. Like Chris was talking about, oh, lifting 95 pounds off the ground. It's like, hey, I did like 60 leg extensions, body weight after surgery on week two, my knee blew up. I felt like I couldn't walk for a week. Well, I did 60 two weeks later and I felt like I could have did hundred and been fine. And that's kind of a, another win for them. And like, all right. So just, it's just a, it's a good experience to kind of
0: setting expectations and like, delivering on them. So do you end up seeing, so you guys mentioned people that are sort of uh, resisting your guys's care. They don't want to be there initially because they might be seeking out other methods. Now, I don't know if Florida is this way, cause I'm from Michigan, but is Florida you have to refer for PT or are you guys able to get walk-in individuals and their insurance will take care of it? Uh, so Florida is a direct access state. So
2: Legally in Florida, you can go to a physical therapist for 30 days before you need to go see a doctor, speaking pretty generally. There's no little more specifics to it. But where Chris is at, because where we work, we're technically affiliated with the hospital, Chris has direct access so that someone can walk in, go see him for 30 days, as long as the insurance allows for it too. That's, the, that's usually kind of the thing if they're gonna pay through insurance. For me, where I'm at, because we're affiliated with the hospital, we do not have our direct access set up. They keep saying it's coming soon, it's coming soon, but my patients are have to come from doctors right now. Uh, Chris is, can come from doctors or they can be basically a walk-in.
3: Yeah, and a lot of times it's, it's more so that the patient was told by their doctor, hey, you're gonna do physical therapy two times a week for six weeks. Um, and the patient may feel that they're being just dropped off to the next thing. They might feel like their doctor's trying to push them out of the room. Um, Other times they will agree with their doctor. And again, that's just something I ask them like, hey, what do you think about this? Um, I had an eval last week where the lady was saying like her doctor didn't even touch her, which she's had both knees replaced and uh, she's having this this anterior hip pain. Um, And the doctor touched her knees and then pushed on her hip and was like, oh, you don't need to get that replaced. Just go to physical therapy two times a week for six weeks. Um, And so for me, that's a good place to make sure I actually ask her like, Hey, what do you think about, you know, your care so far? Um, that way I can know if, if does she think physical therapy is going to work or does she think that was just the doctor's cop out to get them out of the office? Um, in that particular instance, she was kind of up in the air, like, no, we'll see how it is. Um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And that's perfectly fine too. But to me, it's all about just being dynamic and knowing what your response is going to be. Uh, But you can only do that if you actually ask them about, you know, what do they want? Um, At the end of the day, I find, I remind myself pretty frequently, this is meant to be patient centered care. Um, And the only way, way I can truly have patient centered care is to actually ask them what they want and ask them what they expect. Just like our, my guy who didn't want physical therapy, that's fine. He's a farmer who moves stuff all day long. I think his physical activity is definitely meeting the standards. This lady, uh, she was up in the air. So in that case, I was just, it was time to sell her on why physical therapy is gonna be a benefit for her um, and move from there. Um, I will say I had recently a a low back case of a guy who I treated a little while ago. Um, He ended up discharging. His work schedule changed completely um, and he was doing pretty well. And then he had a huge flare up in, in back pain um, it was literally an acute incident. He was swinging a club really quickly throughout his back. Um, in his words, throughout his back, I would never say you throughout out your back. Um, but he went to an ER to get, you know, medications, muscle relaxers, all that. And then normally in, in a common, typical, you know, case of care, that person goes to the ER and then they say, hey, you should either go see an ortho or um, never heard an ER referring someone to a chiropractor. but. Sometimes they might hear about their friend who has this one chiropractor, um, so it's it's very rare that we get that acute low back case walk into the clinic on their own. Um, and I think in that instance, it's actually important to to again sell them on their favorable outcome and go from there. Because um, the typical course of care is, you know, I'm going to go to a spine doctor. They're going to do imaging on me. We're going to see, you know, the discs issues and. Um, We might have a conversation about surgery depending on who your doctor is and what the findings are. Um, And that's also why they're, you know, and I know specifically in Australia, they're putting a lot more PTs in emergency rooms um, because just the cost of care can be so much less, where a PT might say, okay, this looks and seems like a just an acute case of low back pain with no major things that jump out at me that this needs to be handled by, you know, a surgeon or anything like that. Let's take you down the PT route.
1: So one thing I always respect and love about you guys is right. You guys were always able to communicate your point or you weren't afraid to ask a lot of questions. Um, I guess going back to PT school, cause I was just listening to a podcast with Steffi Cohen um, and Tim Ferris and Steffi Cohen was asked to, Hey, why didn't you ever take your licenses exam and things of that nature? Why'd you never go that route? She told a she said a really crazy story in my eyes that she did one of her clinicals. Um, she did an eval and she, did everything by the book for school and she had no idea what happened or no idea what was going on. And her, I guess, mentor at the time just said, just give them, just say something. So they, they are, I guess, at rest or they have to come back um, in a way has, what is different from what you guys currently do now and what you guys were taught in school. Um, Cause I even see, in my opinion, I look at some individuals that try to go this fitness industry realm or route and they don't really, their, their capability of communicating with people is, is bad. And it, it, it's, it's at a point where if you ask a question that's supposed to be open-ended, they answer yes or no. Um, so kind of give your, your two cents on that. Does school really teach you like this? Or is it just you kind of being who you are and being experienced in the field um, that has allowed you to kind of be successful? And once again, I think you kind of helped answer that. Uh, what's in the other question? So you're doing. Great. That, that's true,
2: but school, school's great. Uh, I think it doesn't really matter where you end up g- going, going to school in the end. I think education, whether you're in high school, middle school, college, uh, professional school, it, school is what you make of it. So, with like given that, school is meant to help you pass, pass the boards. They they want they, they literally just care about you becoming a licensed. Uh, actually, they don't. They care about you becoming a licensed physical therapist, getting through. They get their three years of tuition money, um, but in the end, like I say, USF actually did a, uh, a good job of teaching things. You know, our, especially the back pain that pressure we had was pretty big about you know getting some of those like bio, psychosocial aspects. It's not necessarily I mean, just mechanical. There's a lot of other factors that can contribute to what's what's going on. But in terms of just communication, I think that's people in general. What's what's going to separate one person from the next, I mean, I don't think exercise wise, I feel like we all probably overcomplicate things and we try to make our way or this system we're using is better than the next person. But I mean, let's let's say like my person A and person B, does it really matter if you're like, if you have a, a, say a general 35 year old mom who wants to work out, does it really matter if we're doing, if we give her the best program in the world or we give her maybe, I guess we, we can compare two programs. We have the same programs, but Adam does a great job of communicating, like delivering. She has fun while she's there, but you know, working with, with Chris, I'll pick on Chris because, because I met, but that like, you know, Chris doesn't make it fun. Maybe Chris tries to like make, maybe make her exercise the way that he wants to exercise, not necessarily the way she wants to go. She's not going to enjoy it much. She's not going to stick it out. So I just generally feel like if, You can communicate, make them buy in, make them have a good time. That's the hard part. They call that like the soft skills, but that's what separates, separates people. And I think the majority of people are going to get better. I mean, we've seen a lot of research. We, we don't know a lot, a lot of things work, but if you just get them to buy into whatever you're doing, it's probably going to work. And I think that's where the communication and the individualization really like it's going to take a hold of everything.
3: So yeah, I def- oh, good. You, I,
0: it's sort of along the similar lines and it's from what people want, but what they need, obviously there's a fine line and you can like use different coaching techniques to do certain exercises that, okay. Like they much rather do a step up because it's not as hard it, on their quad as squats. But if you do a low box step up, like it's going to focus on the quads. Um, But what about when someone wants to do something that's actually not going to provide them the benefits that they need? How do you guys handle that with physical therapy? For example, someone wants a certain type of massage or manual therapies where really they need to do certain exercises in order to improve something like that.
3: So for me personally, um, there are two routes we can take. One is a little easier than the other. Um, and this is just like the way my brain works. Um, you know, if someone has a very strong expectation for manual therapy to be helpful for them, then I will likely do it. And while I'm doing it, I'll explain to them my understanding of what's happening, um, to the best of my knowledge. Before I do that, I'll ask them why they feel they're, they're going to benefit from the manual therapy. Um, if they give me an answer that involves some sort of like tissue manipulation or, or, you know, fixing joints or adjusting anything, um, then I will try to give them an evidence-backed, um, you know, focused session of de-education while I'm doing my manual therapy with them. And then follow that up with, you know, why it's likely is helping them, um, validating that, hey, this is helpful for you. And then further go into what we're going to do after, which will involve loading and things like that. Um, the other option that you have. And I think it takes a bit more skill in terms of like, um, communication skills is to, you know, spend time to discuss with them and, and get them to understand um, why that may not be the best option for them or why that likely is not the best option for them. Um, and personally, I feel that I don't have the skill to, you know, take someone who's very heavily I need manual therapy. and talk our way to get them to understand my point of view. Um, that is evidence backed uh, without just completely losing them. Um, I There are PTs who are capable of doing that. And to me, that's awesome. That might be something I eventually try to get to. But um, in the meantime, like manual therapies does have its benefits and they're short lasting. And the time it takes for me to perform it, um, and get some buy-in from them is well worth it, in my opinion. Um, Just like ice, um, let's say, like, for the most part, we don't recommend ice after an acute injury anymore. Um, If I get done with a session with someone and they ask for ice for 10 minutes, I'll 100% give it to them because the dose of ice that it takes to have negative effects on their healing um, is a lot more than 10 minutes. So um, I'm pretty much sacrificing nothing. They're getting something out of it. I can spare 10 minutes of time or let them hang out for 10 extra minutes to feel better about it. Let's move on from there. Um, so for the most part, yeah, I I don't wanna fit my treatment to the patient. I wanna fit the patient to the treatment and then slowly guide them towards what I have found in terms of the evidence, um, what will be most effective for them, which is always gonna come down to some level of education and some level of exercise for the most part.
2: I'm pretty much, similar, same boat as Chris there. I had, a, for example, uh, Friday, I had a guy come in and on his, we get these PT scripts from the doctor and it says Therac's and sometimes they check ultrasound, e I think sometimes the doctor's honestly just checking because it's just, it's on there. Well, the n- guy came in first time, we had no, uh, he had a foot injury, no expectations of ultrasound or e I honestly didn't even notice it because uh, I mean, I'm not going to, I normally want to do all, do all that. Well, he, he comes in on uh, the second time. And he's like, Hey, so are we going to do some of the ultrasound and stimulation? And I was, I was like, Oh, were you, were you wanting that? He's like, well, yes, the doctor asked for it. And a lot of times people are going to put what the doctor says to I me. Mean, they're putting them up on a pedestal and what they say is, is gold. So I was like, well, honestly, ultrasound, I'm not, I don't really I'm not going to spend the time to do, I don't feel it's going to be beneficial for you. I told him the latest research isn't to, uh, for his condition, isn't like, really backing it. But I met, I met him. I said, this, like the E I'm fine with doing that. Like Chris said, if he, if he does basically the majority of things that I want him to do, we, we exercise for 45, 50, 60 minutes, I throw him on an E STEM for 10, that's not like, really negatively affecting him. I also looked in, hey, I can, get you, I can look into getting you one of these uh, units for home. Well, so now he can do it at home and not have to do it here. If his insurance company covers it, it's, it's free. And I'm not necessarily trying to necessarily completely change his beliefs, but I'm also just not really reinforcing them, them either. Uh, that's kind of like what Chris saying. Some people, I'll ha- I'll, if they really want manual, yeah, I'll give them five, ten minutes. And There's a lot of people love that. They're like, oh, I'm, they moved my shoulder around. They really stretched me out. In reality, uh-huh. I probably didn't push very very far and create a real tissue length change, but they thought I did. And if that gets them to exercise for the next 60 minutes, then I'm not necessarily always going to fight them on it.
3: Yeah. And currently I've been in like a big mood of harping on things like quote unquote corrective exercises and things like that. Um, we're working on like the tiny muscles and, um, things that, you know, from what I've seen, aren't going to have any major lasting changes. Um, and, To me, like if I got someone to squat or deadlift or, or, you know, push something to a capacity that is going to improve their fitness, I don't care what we do after. We can do whatever, you know, uh, abdominal hollowing, whatever you want to call it. Um, Definitely not going to sell them on the narrative that, oh, we have these tiny muscles that aren't. Working correctly, and I felt with my hands that they're not working. So we're not, we're going to get them back up to speed. Um, but if we want to do those exercises after we picked up a couple hundred pounds, sure, go for it. I I don't care. Um, and same thing with the patient if they've heard that um, their core is weak, you know, I'll spend time to explain to them why that's likely not the case. Um, and if I can get them to pick up that eighty pound trap bar, and then after we want to do some ab exercises where they feel their abs working, sure, sounds good to me, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, I just prioritize the things that, um, that will best fit the goals that they might have.
1: So I guess transition uh, off of that to like, don't know, those tiny muscle exercises. Um, you guys just recently made a post on warming up. And now that, you know, gyms are opening up uh, from COVID, I think a lot of more people are going to the gym. So that's a really great thing. Something I still see is, you know, individuals doing all these prehab rehab exercises, foam rolling for 10, 15 minutes. Um, I guess give our listeners an effective way to warm up, or why maybe foam rolling and things of that nature aren't actually priming your body for whatever exercises that you're about to do.
2: I, I know Chris just made the post, but it's funny you asked that question, because I had a friend last night, wait, I talked about we just had a phone conversation and I, I called him cause he texted me the that exact question. Like, Hey, well, how do you like, what's the best way to warm up? And just generally speaking, I feel like we had this conversation also continued to this morning. If Quote unquote experts. I feel like we'll never truly say they're experts. Uh, I feel like people who actually really know what they're talking about, never give exact like, Oh yeah, this is the, this is the absolute best way to do that. Cause you'll see that all over Instagram ads, Snapchat ads, Basically, like, oh, this is the best exercise or the best warm-up you can do to feel your ex- or feel your body to prevent injury. And like kind of what we have talked on on that post, that it is very individualized and it really does just depend. I'll kind
1: of let Chris take it from there.
3: Yeah, well, like Adam, how do you warm up? What do you do?
1: So my warm up consists of walking 10 minutes on the treadmill, and then you know progressively overloading the weight I need to be.
3: Okay, so Adam does more than I do for a warm up. Um, obviously, it depends on what we're doing and and what we're trying to get out of it. So if I'm squatting, I do 10 body weight squats holding onto the rack, and then I take the bar out and I try to do that 10 times. And if it feels good, I'll throw on 135 and start squatting. If the bar feels like crap, I'll take a minute. Kind of shake my shoulders around <laughs> take the bar again if that still doesn't feel great i'll take the bar again if i feel like all right i might feel a little better if i get some weight on here i'll throw some some plates on um and i'll just keep taking some weights and keep practicing my squat essentially um because to me squatting is going to get my heart rate up just fine um, i'm going to eventually you know i feel i can get to the position i want a little bit easier a little bit better um, And I want to take the time to do it. Uh, if I'm like warming up with Olympic lifts, then yeah, I do do some like very specific drills to prepare me for certain positions that I'm trying to get into, um, or trying to coordinate a very specific movement pattern. Cause, um, I don't know if people realize this, but like lifting weights is pretty easy in terms of like the, the like motor demands of it. Um, you know, compared to like dancing or Olympic lifting or things like that. Um, so I, I keep my lift, my, you know, group lizard brain lifting stuff relatively simple and easy, but at the same time, if maybe someone wants to ride a bike for like five minutes or they want to get their mind right, um, and do a five minute bike ride, go for it. If someone feels that they're severely restricted in their ankles before they squat. You know, maybe I'll show you a thirty-second way to get your ankles going and moving, and work that in with your squat warm-up, so you can actually try to transfer the skill over. Um, where I tend to get more specific with like warm-ups and things like that is going to be if we're dealing with someone who does experience pain um, to to a certain degree, um, and that'll obviously be individualized as well. Uh, but you know, if my back hurts when I deadlift, maybe we're going to do some things that just get your tissue tolerance a little higher, um, or maybe we'll do some things that distract you from your back a little bit. Maybe we'll get your glutes burning really hard. And immediately after go into some deadlifts and try to see if we can, you know, slowly bump the weight up on the bar. Um, but to me, you know, the, the best warm-up is gonna be the one that, that achieves our goal. Um, so for me, when I'm squatting, my goal is to work up to a heavy single. I'm just gonna squat a bunch. Um, if for me, my goal for squatting was to get up to a heavy single without my shoulder hurting me, um, then maybe I'm going to squat and I'm going to add in some band pull aparts parts rather than sit there for, you know, two minutes scrolling through Instagram. Um, but it's all context, you know, context dependent on, on what it is that they might need or, um, what they feel they'll benefit from. If I have someone who like swears by foam rolling, maybe I'll discuss with them how 30 seconds of foam rolling is just as good as five minutes. Um, and try to convince them that that time spent might be better off practicing the lift or or getting their mind right for their lift. Um, and if they're still not buying it, then hey, you know I, I've done what I could. I've I've explained to them what I can. Um, if they absolutely swear by 15 minutes of foam rolling, then you know I, I've I've given you the the evidence behind it. But if you feel like that still doesn't do it enough for you, maybe I'll try to um, give you other options. But at the end of the day, like. I think that what they believe will help them o- the most is what's going to help them the most.
2: And at least they're the way I look at it, At least that guy's going to deadlift. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I mean, I think. in social media land, people get a little, prepped up like, of we need to, throw them away, never use it, like blah blah. But like, if he's going to, he's going to put a six after that 10-15 minutes. If he's going to go ahead and. I mean, deadlift workout for an hour. Great. Like if that's what he needs to do. I mean, I don't think, I don't think I, I, Adam walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes is doing much for him. But if it's if, if he goes from basically home, he wakes up, he goes home, walks for 10 minutes. Maybe that's his like almost mental mental wake up of like, all right, well, all right, I'm here. Like I got to get, <laughs> I got to get going now. That's yeah, probably the same, same
0: thing. That, yeah. I mean, some people, some people need that. <laughs> I think the psychological side of, so you, you guys have been mentioning quite a few things uh, and it is in regards to your guys' therapy or the approach you guys take, like, okay, if they want something like ice at the end, like you said, 10 minutes, five minutes of ice is probably not going to really stop you from progressing. So yeah, having them do that additional thing that they think is actually helping them might actually just boost them forward that much more because they think it's helping. So I'm a really big fan for just if a person wants to do it if it's not going to negatively impact them and they believe it's going to help them a ton yeah do it just because the placebo effect is so Mm -hmm. unreal
3: yeah and then you know eventually try to wean them off of it and explain to them why um you know we don't need to build a dependence on this every time you play basketball you don't need to put ice on your legs and i need to get you to believe that um sometime down the line and maybe i'll taper you down 30 seconds at a time until we're doing such a small amount of time that it's just ridiculous. It's not even worth it anymore. Um, but yeah, no, you know, it, it's a, a lot of, it's just all about the narrative that we're, we're putting behind and the reasoning for what we're doing. Um, but I think a lot of people fail to actually, you know, do do that part of things and, and explain the reasoning behind it. Um, like we are doing injury, I guess it was, I wouldn't call it like injury screening, but it was just like full on assessments on uh, combine athletes. And we're putting through them through all these tests and they're, they're just, these athletes are used to just listening to what someone tells them and doing it because that's what they've been told to do. Um, and they're working with the top people in the world. That's what they're gonna do. Um, for me, I was trying to put some context behind what they're doing. So they're doing like a single leg hamstring bridge for as many reps as possible. I tell them how there's some studies out there that showed if you can't get at least 25 of these, you're at a 50% increase re- uh, risk of tearing your hamstring. You had some guys who were getting like, 20 reps, they felt like, Oh man, that was really tough to me. It's just like, Hey, awesome. We found something that you can probably benefit from working on. Um, so at the same end of giving people what they want, I think it's also important to, um, kind of flex on them a little bit, show them like, Hey, I do know stuff. Um, and the stuff I can give you can definitely be a benefit, especially when you get up to like the performance part of things. I think we tend to forget to explain to them like, they're not just meathead athletes. So a lot of people actually want to know why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and that can push them even further ahead.
1: And I think a lot of it, too, what you guys saying, even if it's not helping, they, they, that client or that patient feels that you're listening and they feel like you're caring for them. And like you were saying with the doctor, sometimes they didn't even touch them. Sometimes they don't even care. They see him for two minutes and it's like, hey, go away. I think we as trainers or uh, therapists have a lot more you know personability with our clients or patients um, and that just allows for a lot more buying and just kind of building that rapport with them um, so I guess to switch topics guys evidence-based movement man it's great uh, the content you guys put out the research the how the way you guys break it down and make it so simple to digest um, explain what why'd you guys do it or when was it started give us a little bit of background from it
3: yeah so in 2016 um, a guy who I went to undergrad with um, Madison Frannick, uh, he was up at school in Duke and it was actually for an assignment that he had with some of his classmates um, and so I guess for him his assignment looked like creating some sort of Instagram account um, that that looked at the things that we look at um, and he knew that I was you know, heavily involved in in research at USF and things like that. Um, So from that point on, it was just a lot of talking with him and discussing with him, you know, what it will look like, what we're gonna do with it, um, and what we were hoping to do. Um, Initially at the time, I remember he was like, man, I just wanna get like 10,000 followers. That'd be super cool. I wanna like, you know, put out something good. Um, And then really, we just had like a really solid plan that I felt like, wasn't around on on social media um, to the degree that we were wanting to do it. And then really it was just like following through with that plan and, and going forward and then um, getting to a point where we saw like, hey, um, we like what we do. I think we, let's try to bump this up a level um, in terms of like what we're doing, how often we're posting what we're talking about. And that's essentially what we did from, from that point on. Um, and so it was around that time where we were trying to scale up what we were doing and, and how many posts we were making and what we were talking about um, that Eric and Kyle came in and helped us out as well. Um, yeah.
1: Gotcha. So how, for, I guess, anybody out there that you know wants to find specific research, is there any tips or tricks that you would give them to find certain topics that they're looking for? Because I feel like a lot of people they struggle finding specific research or ways to find actual, you know, evidence-based articles other than, you know, um, something that's on bodybuilding.com. What are ways that help facilitate what you guys post?
3: I think a big part of it is finding other people who do talk about research and and pull it up similar to like what our page does, or even what you guys do. Um, Even if it's just following someone who might reshare a story where someone covered a research article. Uh, I think that's a really good, easy way to just like break into exposure of it. I think most people don't know what they don't know. Um, And it's not until you start to like dig into it that you start to really kind of snowball in um, from one article to the next. Um, For To me, someone who like has no experience in research at all, that's where they should start. Um, From there, I would pay attention to like what types of journals you find are beneficial and you find that you, end up coming back to over and over again. Maybe you just keep recognizing the name of that journal. Um, and if you're like really trying to keep up with everything, I would try to visit that journal um, you know, once a month, just scroll through what they have going on through there and, um, and moving from there. Um, along with that, I think it's good to like to to learn how to effectively use like Google. Um, mm-hmm. Like to me, it's really easy to look up, you know, a blog article and if you're lucky, that blog article was written by someone who is going to cite research and, and discuss it and use evidence. Um, and if you can catch on to something like that, you know, definitely use that and use those references. Um, but if not, like the easiest thing in the world for me is when I'm trying to be like very basic. I know nothing about this topic. I just type in what I don't know, and then I type in NCBI, and that'll pretty much always give me, you know, whatever PubMed article there is um, on that specific topic. Um, but even in like our research class, they'd always talk about how they wanted us to like go through the school library to find these articles and things like that. I was just like, probably too like idiotically prideful to do that. Um, and I just kept doing, just using Google search with NCBI at the end. Um, and I found that just really helpful and easy and, and basic, you know, on a, a low level of just getting into things again. Um, we all know how to use Google pretty easily. Um, and Google doesn't always give us, it's almost always going to give us some sort of like blog article first. Um, so just typing in and see I every mean, CBI to what you don't know can take you down some interesting rabbit holes.
2: And usually with, when you click on one study, it's like you're on a computer, at least on the sidebar, it shows related articles or people may have also read this or searched this. So you can quickly find a bunch of, uh, I mean, related, Top, write papers pretty quickly. That's just surface level. And then I think you eventually have to get into like learning how to analyze the data, which is something that Chris is good at. I mean, this, is hap- this happens too often <laughs> with AVM is that we find a study, it looks great. And then sometimes some studies that get published all the time, they're not necessarily great. And you, you look back and they look at the raw data and it's like, they don't actually have any raw data or like where did they get this, this number from? And sometimes with the journals, they don't actually share all of it. They share tables and then suddenly you have to look like, at an, ap- an appendix or something to to find it and scavenge through it, but not everyone is always willing to go that far. They'll read the abstract and say, oh yeah, this exercise inc- increased sprint speed. But you go back look, look at the data and it's like, well, yeah, it was fiscally significant, but maybe it actually really isn't like Practically or clinically significant, or Chris, what we always bring up if uh, I mean, good rule of thumb is if the confidence interval crosses, if
1: it like crosses zero, then that's basically negligible. Yeah, and so I think I know one tool for me that changed my life um, was literally just setting up alerts on PubMed or Google Scholar saying, "Hey, if the word hypertrophy or something like that comes up, I got a notification for that article," um, and then literally. <laughs> SciHub, man, <laughs> SciHub changed my life. Oh man, I used, oh, man. I used to get We're so that heated. Here. I think we are. Uh, I used to get so heated not being able to find an article or going through the long process through the school. Um, but no, that's great information because I still think even in my master's degree, there's a lot of individuals, um, that still struggle. to hey, where do I start? Or I know, uh, um, Sydney and her all of her like classmates are like, hey, how do you find this, this, and this? I'm like, one, use Google, and then two, have you guys ever heard of PubMed? They're like, what PubMed? I'm like, oh my, so it's, it's, it's kind of yeah. crazy. Um,
2: the the, the, the the amount of like, kind of when you brought up the warm up question, like, some of the experts and people who actually give you a good answer. There's a lot of BS out there in the world, and I'm very quick to not necessarily like maybe give an opinion on something, but I feel like w- once you learn enough, you have like a BS meter that starts to tick when people say certain things, you're like. I don't know necessarily. I think there's some truth into what he or she is saying, but I don't know if I would really phrase it that way. Maybe they're oversimplifying it. That's one thing I think is the benefit of knowing more and knowing more research is like, well, hey, like I have a decent understanding of of science. (laughs) Uh, Like that doesn't make 100% sense to me. I don't like necessarily agree with what they're saying here.
3: There's definitely a couple like keywords that like, raise my blood pressure more than it should (laughs) like throwing
0: the back throwing back out
3: oh yeah yeah throwing my back out corrective exercises oh man like i oh gosh messes me up (laughs) a little little too much like to the point i'm like all right i need to really calm down um no but adam when you're talking about the uh pubmed uh keywords i have a friend who he typed in atp as a keyword (laughs)
2: <laughs> the oh, next no. day,
3: he, he had like 2,500 emails in his, his inbox <laughs> just for one day. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so be, be very selective with your uh, with your keywords, but no, it's, it's definitely a solid tool.
0: So um, I, I think we're approaching an hour. We are. I don't want to keep you guys much longer, but I want to touch on what you guys are currently focusing on at EBM, where you guys hope to expand or look further into in the future, what you guys want to get into and where can people find you or seek out your help?
3: Yeah, so personally, I think that um, most students and even a lot of clinicians who've been working for a while um, don't feel so confident about exercise prescription. Um, I think that it's definitely something that's glossed over by school, at least in my experience, but then also just from what I've heard from other students Um, They just don't feel prepared for it. Um, And I feel having some sort of grasp in in strength conditioning and things like that can take you a long way. Um, But I do think that, you know, there is a PT side of things and that there's a good way to view exercise prescription. Um, And so that's something that I'm trying to get big into and and trying to um, essentially build a course for. Um, and make it like very affordable for students and then maybe a little less affordable for clinicians who have paying salaries, even though we all have student loans anyways. But um, I think that that's something that uh, we can definitely benefit more from. Um, And if it really should be, if movement and exercise is the focus of our profession, um, I think we need to spend more time on learning the nuances of that rather than maybe um, going to like a 48 hour, a manual therapy course. Um, so that's that's something I'm I'm definitely trying to like break into. Um, but beyond that, it's really just kind of keeping the train rolling. That's I think more than anything, that's what we've been doing is just keep trucking along um, and keep reading more. Um, and I would say in the last like two years we've had more people challenge what we have to say than we've ever had before, which to me, that's a great thing that tells us that, hey, people are like, on point with this stuff, which means we have to also be on point with it. Um, And really, there's a lot of times where we have to listen to what other people have to say and and get their perspective on it. Um, Because, you know, as I think as things move along, uh, people are becoming more, having a better expertise than even we do on a lot of things. And that's an awesome opportunity to kind of level up with them. so personally, that's where I, I'm trying to get to with this. Where are you,
2: Eric? I, it's, it's, honestly, it's just a kind of a, it's been a f- fun experience so far. I mean, you've learned, even like essentially the way it's structured is like we all essentially take a week. Uh, Chris does basically like, you know, the other the when we have like a research study we review, uh, we tend, we all take a week. And it, it's honestly just been a ton of fun and learning experience to look at all these schools, like cool studies that are done i mean it's a different it's a research study one to two every single week that we review and then multiple during the week so it's just great to be able to keep up with uh i mean the literature and stay up to date and i'll have people people challenge us which is awesome because it really it really does keep you on your your toes we actually had an author of a paper uh or a PT, p.t school i think we we essentially misworded something it wasn't like maliciously we tried to like but we ended up saying, like, does not instead of do or something to uh, so almost, like, refute what the paper or something or saying. But <laughs> so the author ended up reaching out, like, hey, I wrote this. Like, that's not what this found or something. So it was kind of <laughs> cool. Uh, but I'm, I'm always looking to, I mean, just better myself on, like, personal side of things. Uh, it's awesome. 3 a.m. we get to access, I mean, get to come on podcasts like this. So actually someone else asked us to be on a baseball oriented one, which is something I'm always trying to stay uh, passionate about and stay involved in and use this PT and CFDF strength conditioning side of things to help just continue some involvement in the game whatsoever. And that's kind
1: of where I'm at. Perfect. So where can everyone find you guys, personal accounts, evidence-based movements accounts, or any other um, social media platform that you guys are on?
3: Yeah, so you can find us uh, at EBM. Um, you can find my dog at EBM as well. If you ever see any pictures, say hi to her. Um, and that's,
2: but, that's, that's at evidence-based uh, MVMT on Instagram. Not It's not movement spelled out. It's MVMT or you just search evidence-based movement. We should be on there. Yeah. But yeah, then, there, there's, a lo- there's a lot of dog pictures. So.
0: <laughs> we need some uh, more then, cat photos, to be honest. Eric's not a Eric's cat popped up. Not a, nope, nope. Not a damn chance. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> um and then i'm at the strength guy um on my personal account spell the guy spell guy oh yeah man. sorry g-a-i um
2: <laughs> pronounce pronounce gay in some circles but it yep. depends on what kind of the country <laughs> you're in um and then i'm just at uh eric underscore schindler 31 like schindler's list so at eric underscore schindler 31
1: all right and before we go chris favorite pokemon generation i'm gonna i'm gonna
3: throw everyone off and say gen 2 johto league by far because like they throw in some they throw in all the gen ones but then like gen 2 is just like the perfect add-on sorry boys
1: eric i know you may not know but eric say something something.
2: (laughs) uh i i i played pokemon like on the game boy growing up i mean i hit it i hit it hard when i was like that age but i haven't uh i haven't haven't (laughs) seen it since then
3: eric who is your starter Oh, this tells you a lot thinking, about something. This if you don't know, just tell me. If you don't know, just tell me the color.
2: No, no, no. But I feel like I would uh, rotate. I mean, rotate. I would like work up to. The... Who's your favorite? Yeah,
3: come on. I'm trying to learn about you here.
1: The go-to. I I, I don't even know. I don't.
2: I can't Uh-oh, have a favorite.
3: No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. You're, you're <laughs> all right,
1: no. You're just Team Rocket. That's all we know from now. <laughs> 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 that worked. All me. right, guys. No, no, we really appreciate y'all. Obviously, you guys are the first guests that we've had on all the strength, all the smoke, strength, and conditioning, or strength and physique. Damn, I already I already messed it up, but oh, um, <laughs> right. We can talk uh, so about So we Eric's appreciate team. it. <laughs> so we'll definitely, obviously, hopefully, we'll be able to do a part two, man. Because I always love you guys, love what you guys do, and what you guys are about. Um, but yeah, man, appreciate you guys coming on. Chris, you have anything else?
0: No, nah, it was a pleasure to finally meet you guys. I've been waiting for this. You guys. Have some really good information over at EBM, and I always love looking at your guys's information. And I just realized right before this podcast, I follow like everything EBM except for you two individually, and I'm like, okay,
3: this is oh perfect, it's okay. I-, I know,
0: right? <laughs> I- hey, I follow, I support what you guys support, so
1: yeah. Hey, yeah, actually, now before we st- we can kind of probably cut this off though, but straight up, because I've been listening to all the smoke, actual all the smoke basketball stuff, and the last question they always ask to their um, guests who should we have on like if you guys wanted to listen to somebody on our podcast as a guest host who would you want to listen to give me three people and I'll hopefully try to make it happen I'm gonna go uh my first one off top of my head is Karina I think it'd be great to
2: have her on there I, mean, cause I think you're, you're, you look for special uh, topics and interests so I feel like you go maybe like nutrition side of things with with her. I think she has a wealth of information to offer. She's my first resource if I ever have a question. Cause like then that, that bullshit meter goes off, someone says something I'm like, Karina, Karina, what's up with this? And she's like, actually, it's not that bad. That's okay. I was like, okay, cool.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, i definitely say Nina. And then if you can get them, um, a friend of ours, Adam. Whoa, not Adam. Adam, you are my friend. Sorry. I love you. Um, Andrew. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Andrew Kutnick. Um, He's like the coolest dude ever, Um, like brilliant man. Um, He did his PhD at USF in uh, Dr. Diagostino's lab. Um, And he does- The dude that's
1: diabetic and killed the- Yeah, who
3: crushed us on the road bike challenge. What? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, he'll he'll talk to you forever, Um, but- he he just has like amazing stuff to just have well, he, wears,
2: he, he wears a mouthpiece working out because I think he grits, his, he grits his teeth so hard. Yeah.
3: Oh, he's just, hardcore. He's in the company. <laughs> yeah. K-O-U-T-N-I-C-K
1: maybe. Okay. Um, Send yeah. me his information if you don't mind, Chris.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, he he's an amazing resource in, just in the research world in general.
2: He he gave a great uh, keto that uh, keto lecture he gave to us was uh, awesome.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. He, he's he's big in that space. And then would our third? One? I mean, like Dr. Campbell's always amazing, but you already know that.
1: Yeah, I plan on getting Campbell and hopefully Buckner on it eventually. Yeah, Buckner.
3: Um, uh, I love my friend Ryan Calhoun. Um, he's he started the powerlifting team with me back in the day, and he he kind of like got me started with a lot of all the research stuff.
2: You can get on. You should try to get Andreas on.
3: Andres Vargas, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, doesn't he do a, uh, is, 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 is Andreas went to USF, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's a study I got hurt in.
3: And yeah, he,
0: is he coaching with the Tigers now?
3: No, no, yeah. he's he does his own private thing. Um, but then also we have uh, Danny Bove, who he coaches with the Pelicans now, or not? He doesn't coach; he's the sports scientist for the Pelicans. Um, that and that, right? My other fr- what's that?
1: Is Danny that redhead or no? Am I tripping?
3: No, no, you're definitely tripping. <laughs> okay. who,
2: who, 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 who's the scary dude who lift like listen to the like literally hell music? That's Daniel, right?
3: Oh yeah. That's uh, that's Daniel Sayers. He's okay. in politics okay. now, yeah.
2: If you
1: want something interesting, have him on. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: then, also, I don't know if you ever met Jeff Dolan. Um Mm-mm, I know have. He's, he's a
1: He's in the Suns right now, right?
3: Yeah, he's with the Suns. Him but he's and Danny got some, were both.
2: He's, he's got some experience because he was with the Yankees for a little bit too. Yeah, I remember him. He was with the
3: Yankees. He, he just has some crazy life experience because his first degree was in history. And then he went on to try to become a pro triathlete. And then he somehow got involved in Westside Barbell stuff and like powerlifting. Um, and then worked with like Notre Dame. He's Like him and Danny are some of the most interesting people in the world um, when you talk to them but cool. yeah those those um, are some some top peeps for sure
1: perfect well, we'll hopefully reach out to them and then if i need information i'll definitely come back to you guys for it but yeah i appreciate you guys or
0: you could just use google as that was like a key thing mentioned
3: yeah dude google and
1: see. Uh, it. <laughs>
2: and
0: see I was, shit. so so adam you know i have a friend who just started
2: a podcast i was talking to him and he was saying if people like i mean are always like he's looking at his perspective, like he's like, people are always looking for guests. You're like you can just ask them like, Hey, can I come on your podcast? And most of the time people are like, well, yeah, actually we need a guest to come on. Uh, so I would even mind just, i feel like just start, be ballsy and just not like really ballsy, but it's Instagram, just message someone like, Hey, start a podcast, strength finishing, would you be interested? Gotcha. Maybe not like go to super big fish, but some of the people you follow, just shoot for Be Like
0: if they say no, they say no. Even they Even like the big fish, I guarantee you'll reach out. Cause like I've reached out to people that I would have never thought for like an internship before. And they're like, within an hour, they respond. They're like, yeah, like
3: free labor. Hell yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We'll have have you work for free.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Come come tonight. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I appreciate it a ton, guys. It was great talking to you guys, getting to know you guys more. And I appreciate you guys for helping us out and sharing some great information. Yeah, no,
3: anytime. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having
0: us. See y'all. Appreciate you guys. Take it easy, guys. You guys take care. Bye, everyone.